You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And it's the kind of the, the end of one team and the beginning of another as leadership emerges right after uh, the results of this game are in and we get back to campus and it should be a great motivator for the guys that were playing in this game that are coming back for next year's team. Barnett's a good player, obviously. Uh, I mean, I hate to say it, but he is. Talked, he talked a lot of trash out there, but yeah, he's a good player. He had a lot of, obviously, had a bunch of sacks and a lot of hurry-ups on me. So, I mean, he's getting the backfield pretty quick. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a combination of things. It's maybe not blocking him right. It's me holding on the ball too long or good coverage, you know. So, I mean, it's a combination of things of him getting the backfield. Yeah, I think uh, that kind of defines this team a little bit. You know, just a lot of hardworking guys. Uh, you know, maybe weren't always respected like we thought we should have been. But, uh didn't always care about that. Keep working hard. That's just kind of what this team's mentality has been this year, to keep grinding. You know, nothing's nothing's given. Everything's earned. That's the kind of team we were this year. Well, welcome here to another edition of the Husker Online Show. We are back here from Nashville after Friday's 38-24 loss to Tennessee. Uh, Nebraska closes out the year 9-4, uh, and four, and it's kind of like an old pair of sweatpants. Put on those 9-4 and four off-season pants, Husker fans, because it's been a lot of those nine and four type of years and um you know what's interesting about nine and four is i think every it's it's like the movie groundhog day or something you, you there's always that point in the season where there's the glimmer of hope nebraska was seven and oh they were nine and two um that, that, where you thought you know what this is the year they get to that 10 11 win and, and kind of have that season well injuries kind of hit this team here at the wrong time as nebraska lost some key guys, and, and, and bottom line, as we bring in Robin Washington and A-Klaus, they were just undermanned against a, a quality SEC team. They didn't have an answer for Derek Barnett. They didn't have an answer for the mobility of Josh Dobbs. And, you know, I thought it was fitting, Robin, in the post-game press conference. That's what Ross DeZuris just talked about there. You had a quarterback from Grand Island, a receiver from Lincoln, and a defensive end from Plattsmith, all former walk-ons that played in that Shrine Bowl we covered five years ago up there representing Nebraska um, that, as they wrapped up this season. Yeah, I mean, it's a nice story and all, and you love to see in-state kids get a spotlight like that, but clearly the talent discrepancy between uh, what Tennessee put out there and what Nebraska put out there was was pretty, uh, I guess, far apart. <laughs> the speed uh, and basically every aspect, and what was maybe the most frustrating um, was the, Nebraska's inability to block Clemson's front four. Um, you know, that was kind of the one area in which I thought Nebraska may have had an advantage, um, just with the fact that Clem or I'm sorry, Tennessee's. Uh, defensive line was so beat up they were starting defensive ends at defensive tackle linebackers at defensive end and this the game plan going in was just power run the ball straight at them and set the tone well but then Terrell Newby gets hurt. yeah and then they couldn't run the ball at all you know Divino Zigbo had that 140 some yard run and outside of that they didn't do anything on the ground and that forced Riker Pfeiffer to try and beat him with his arm and uh, really just uh, it all fell apart from there and so you know it was not only just an athleticism but a physicality standpoint in which Nebraska just didn't bring it in any area well and the, it, it kind of makes you wonder what happened to Tennessee I mean you, you saw these thoroughbreds all over the field at every position they, they've got these freak athletes and uh kind of made me wonder at least you know what what the heck happened to these guys this year uh especially down the stretch because they certainly weren't playing very well so um uh, you know but yeah for Nebraska uh you know 
the the game plan going in was obviously to to run the ball and, and be physical at the point of attack. That that didn't happen. Never really got going. And then um, you know, I kind of reverted to reverted back to okay, well, okay, Riker, go go make a play, throw it up, and and see see what can happen. And um, and with Derek Barnett breathing down your neck, you know, they, he made a few good plays, but ultimately that's that's not the the winning recipe for uh, you know success against those guys. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, and yeah, you mentioned Nate, this Tennessee team really underachieved. I mean, they were eight and four in the regular season, but should have been arguably ten and two, if not eleven and one. Alabama's the only team that really beat them. Uh, they probably should have won the A&M game. They had the opportunity to win that game. They won a game on a Hail Mary, I believe, against Georgia, but they had no business losing to a bad South Carolina team or Vanderbilt this year, and they, they kind of just lost those games. Otherwise, Tennessee's in the Sugar Bowl. I mean, they, they're, they're the representative in the Sugar Bowl over Auburn for the SEC. They're in the SEC title game, and, uh, yeah, so I think they finally showed up. And I mean, it was a great atmosphere. It was a great bowl. For a second-tier bowl game, Robin, it doesn't get much better than that. I mean, you played in front of 68,000 people, which for other than the playoff games and the Rose Bowl um, and maybe the Sugar Bowl, um, for a non-New Year's Six game, I mean, it was about as good as it was going to get. And, you know, at least Nebraska got to be a part of something like that. Yeah, it was probably, as far as atmosphere goes, one of the best bowl games I've covered. Uh, you know, we've covered some real clunkers. Uh, going back, You can go back to last year where you're playing in front of an empty stadium in the Foster Farms Bowl. So uh, that was definitely fun. I mean, albeit it was probably at least a 70-30 split in favor of Tennessee. A lot of Nebraska fans still yeah, were down there. there. there was a good, a, a good vocal minority there in the stadium but it was definitely a Tennessee crowd uh, and I don't know how much of a factor that actually played but uh, going back to a point talking about earlier you know the one thing you got to tip your hat to Riker Fife I mean he was far from Nebraska's biggest problem in that game and I thought that he handled that stage extremely well especially for a guy that just had you know a surgery on his wrist a month ago um he, he actually made some plays put the ball where he needed to brandon riley had his best game of his career as a result of it and uh you know i, I you got to really give him credit for stepping into a very difficult situation under tough circumstances and playing the way he did because you know if he doesn't play as well as he did that thing could have been a lot worse for nebraska yeah Nate, brandon riley is a guy that i think we all saw that he had this ability to I think it just simply came down to having a quarterback that could get the ball at a high point that he could make a play on it, where so many times he was wide open this year, and Tommy Armstrong still overthrew him by 20 yards, 10 yards, and um, I think you saw what he could do, and I'll say it right now, I think he will make a roster, whether it's practice squad or whatever. He will he will be on an NFL team next year. Yeah, I'd agree with that. You know, um, and you just have to go back and look at, look at his film from this year, and, and most of his catches were – like circus type catches and and that's because he uh you know most of those balls I don't think were were placed where they probably should have been um and and credit uh Brandon Riley for being able to to make those types of catches but uh yeah he probably had an, an a little bit of an underwhelming senior season in large part because of um the type of quarterback that he was playing with and and I know I, I get the sense you know no one's going to come out and publicly say it but you know I get the sense from talking with a lot of the the whiteouts that they kind of wish that maybe they had one more year to to play with a you know a guy like Tanner Lee or, or Patrick O'Brien in this offense going forward but um you know it's you know it is what it is, I guess, at the quarterback position. And like Mike Riley said in the, the intro, you know, it's kind of a, a transition, kind of turning the page to, to another chapter here. 
As we close out here, guys, there's two things I think that need to happen for Nebraska. When you look at the game of football, I wrote this this week, it's about third down. And right now, Nebraska lacks the players to block on the edge on third down at offensive tackle, and they lack the players on defense at defensive end or outside linebacker that can get to the passer. And Nate, and uh, when you look at the big picture recruiting, I mean, do you see this getting fixed anytime soon? Well, I mean, it's not. I mean, it, it depends <laughs> on how they close out. I, you gotta, you gotta have some guys uh, develop that are already in the system. Obviously, uh, I think there's hope there with with a guy like Alex Davis, and uh, you, you gotta hope that a, a guy like Deshaun Neal, uh, you know, those guys kind of kind of come up. Uh, you know, the talent, the young talent at defensive tackle, I think, is pretty promising, and we saw glimpses of of that with uh, Carlos Davis this year and, and uh, Mick Stoltenberg, and obviously. Khalil Davis are coming up but in this recruiting class right now I think you, you have to hold on to, to Guy Thomas who is the um, you know the best really right now is the only defensive end ta- uh, prospect in the in the class but is by far and away the best pass rusher in this class and but is he going to be able to come in and, and you know make an impact you know is he physically ready to make an impact as a freshman that I don't know so uh uh, yeah, they've got a ways they've, to go. They've got some needs that uh, need to continue to be addressed for and we'll, sure. And Nate, we'll save this for a whole other show down the road, but the, just the junior college remains a mystery to me uh, with Nebraska. I, I am of the belief just from history and what we know here that you have to take two to three elite JUCO guys a year, I, I believe. I mean, the, these are the five stars that you can't get out of high school, but you can get them in JUCO. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, that was, you know, taking the top two to three JUCO guys per cycle um, that, uh, you know, that are the elite guys, the the players that uh, probably don't carry quite as much risk as some of the others. Uh, you know, those are the players that you have to try and get at Nebraska. Randy Gregory, Jamarcus Hard. I mean, Jamarcus Hardrick right now would be the best tackle by far on the roster, and they got him out of JUCO. I mean, you've got to find guys like that. Yeah, you got to find you got to find a couple gyms like that. Now, I, I don't think that uh, you, you know, I think you always want to be careful and you don't want to rely on junior college recruiting. That's a nasty cycle to get into. But if you're plucking, you know, one to three guys each cycle, um, I, I think that's probably uh, the best recipe right there uh, to, to go that route. Um, you know, and, and do your own homework early. Get on these guys in the spring and, and try to, you know, try to get guys that come in and, and are graduating mid-year and get them uh, to come in through uh, through spring football and um, you know and, and even if you can find guys that are three for three type players I mean it's hard to do but I, I feel like uh, if you're at Nebraska you, you you almost have to recruit a one to three elite Juco players per cycle all right well, when we come back we're going to shift the discussion over to 2017 the, the quarterback competition with Tanner Lee and Patrick O'Brien and Some other storylines here for the future. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I think that'll be a great battle starting today. You know, we're going to have those guys will get a ton of work. It'll be a a very good competition between two smart guys that uh, I'm excited about. You know, we're going to have those guys evaluate at everything they're doing. Um, you know, weight room, off season, all the spring ball. It'll be a, a great battle for, uh, for everybody to watch. Yeah, it's been going. It's been ongoing since uh, since those those Sunday scrimmages and and all of the bowl practices. That thing is uh, is, is well underway. 
And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was offensive coordinator Danny Langsdorf discussing the upcoming quarterback battle between Tanner Lee and Patrick O'Brien. This segment here of the Husker Online Show brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill uh, with five locations in Omaha, two in Lincoln NFL playoff games here on Saturday and Sunday. Um, perfect place to get in Tanner's, get some wings, get a, a pitcher of beer, and uh, hunker down in this cold weather, watch some NFL football playoffs here this weekend at any one of the Omaha and Lincoln seven Tanner's locations. All right, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus as um, kind of looking ahead here to this quarterback battle and you know, the closest thing, Nate, this reminds me of when you look at Tanner Lee and Patrick O'Brien is Zach Taylor and Harrison Beck. I mean, that's the only comparison I could draw recently of these guys because Tanner Lee is kind of the Zach Taylor, the mature, seasoned guy that has played high-level snaps before. And O'Brien's kind of the young wild card but has ability, and, and we know it never worked out with Harrison Beck. Um, so that that's kind of a bad example on that end of it. Uh, but it kind of has that feel. Um, and I think obviously most people lean towards the veteran Tanner Lee kind of being the bridge to either O'Brien or Jebbia someday. Yeah, I think that is a good comparison. Obviously, I feel like uh, Patrick O'Brien may be a little bit more mature than uh than Harrison Beck was, uh, he was he was a little bit of a you would hope yeah I, I think he was a little bit of a wild card. Just, at just times. look his new business up if you have some <laughs> spare time on YouTube. Uh, yeah, but uh, uh, but yeah, I think that is a good comparison. You've got you've got somewhat of a veteran guy, a guy who's played uh, some snaps, who's been thrown in the fire, who's who's uh, actually led a team before, um, and kind of knows how to operate himself, uh, you know, and handle himself with the media. I mean, if you if you talk with a guy, I know through the recruiting process when when uh, the few times that I talked with Tanner Lee, it, I, I felt like I was talking with. Uh, you know, someone who had been, you know, who was a, a redshirt senior, who was a fifth-year senior in a program because he, he handled himself very, very well uh, with questions and, and uh, very thoughtful with his ans answers and everything. And, um, you know, it's going to be it's going to be a good battle. I, both of those guys bring a lot of qualities to the table. Um, you know, and, and when's the last time that you actually had a legitimate quarterback competition at Nebraska? I mean, it's been a long, long time. And Crouch, I think Crouch Newcomb would be one that comes to mind. I mean, you got to th – yeah, I mean, I, I, the Taylor Martinez thing came so late. That spring, he wasn't even really in the mix. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden in the summer, he was the guy. It was a weird deal how that one played out because somehow Zach Lee – upset Bo Pelini by having his surgery when he wasn't supposed to have it and he got in the doghouse and Taylor Martinez took the job at that point yeah it was, it was strange so <laughs> I mean, it's been it's been it's been just your comment it was yeah, it was strange yeah, it, was, it was strange it was so strange <laughs> it was uh so I mean uh, a couple beers and I'd get more out of you than that I think yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, don't go there. Uh, so, I mean, I mean, let's be honest. Uh, this it's been a very long time since you've had a, a quarterback comp competition, and uh, that's I think that's what needs to happen for this team. I mean, you, no spots are safe right now, uh, and that goes for every position. I, I think that uh, this this winter conditioning, the spring football, is going to be. I think there, it's going to be a tough one, and and across the board uh, for all these guys. Yeah, I'm actually looking forward to it. I mean, that bowl game, you know, as 
tough as it was to swallow, it was kind of the final turning of the page and uh, end of the chapter uh, for what was a kind of a, I guess, a difficult two years uh, working under Tommy Armstrong. This will be the first time that they'll actually have quarterbacks suited to run Danny Langsdorf, Mike Riley's system. And uh, that can make all the difference in the world and the product that you see on the field. I mean, recent comparison uh the the transition from joe daly to zach taylor i mean when you have a guy that's suited to run your offense all of a sudden your scheme looks a whole lot better so i think that we're going to see uh some nice pleasant changes and just the overall efficiency and effectiveness of uh, what these coaches are trying to run and i think everything is going to look a lot more smooth and um, a lot more uh, productive as a result you're listening here to the husker online show sean callahan robin washett and nate klaus as we kind of discuss the future of what's next and you know, the beauty of the way spring works now is it's going to be here before you know it. Uh, we're about two months away from the start of spring practice as they begin on the first Saturday of March, which, you know, it's like 60 days from now. I mean, it's it's coming before you know it. Uh, we always joke that's like actually one of the busier times of the year for us because baseball starts. You've got basketball going on, state basketball as well, and then spring football and then pro day all kind of happen like on the same day. Um, so that's always fun when that begins. Uh, but, yeah, you're going to have a lot of new players here too, Nate, as well, uh, as far as the early enrollees. And um, I know those guys will start classes Monday. There's going to be, what, five for sure, and it could be more, um, you know, depending on kind of what shakes out of the U.S. Army Bowl here on Saturday. Yeah, you've got, obviously, the, the long-term commitments in Tristan Jebbia, the quarterback, who will also be kind of thrown in the fray here. You know, I, I think ultimately uh, we'll see Tristan redshirt, but you'll have three legitimate quarterbacks who have all been recruited for, for Mike Riley's and, and Danny Langsdorf's system kind of going at it and battling uh, this spring. And uh, Keyshawn Johnson Jr. will be here. Um, you got Avery Roberts, the, the top-rated player in this recruiting class, a linebacker prospect top 100 linebacker prospect um, who you know based off of how the linebackers played down the stretch this season I, I would not be surprised if if he were able to kind of insert himself right in the mix um, this spring having having a spring to kind of get acclimated and, and learn the system get get some uh, you know kind of get his feet wet I guess if you want to say that um, you know because he's a super talented kid um, and then, uh, you know, Javon McQuitty is kind of the, the wide receiver that everyone forgets about in this recruiting class, the, the, the four-star prospect out of Columbia, Missouri, one of the first kids to, to commit. Um, another highly talented player that I think has a, has an opportunity to make an early impact here in his career. Uh, and then Brock Bando, the, the lineman coming out of uh, you know, IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida, but ultimately uh, is the hometown kid from Lincoln uh, South Southeast. So uh, five kids you, you could see, you know, depending on how, how things shake out this weekend at the Army All-American Bowl, you could see another mid-year guy or so. But, um, you know, a good group of talent that, that's going to be coming in, um, you know, and, and going to be, you know, really hitting the hitting the ground running with uh, winter conditioning and everything, and like you said, jumping into spring ball here in just about a month or two. And Nate Robin mentioned that offensive line and, and just you know getting Brock Bando, but you think about what they return. They have five guys that played coming back. David Neville and Cole Conrad both played at right tackle. They got their two guards back. Um, Tanner Farmer, Gerald Foster, their left tackle Nick Gates. Now, granted, those guys didn't have a very good bowl game. Um, but then they have four red-shirted guys that are freshmen. Um, you've got Michael Decker, who figures to factor in possibly. Um, there's going to be a whole host of bodies where 
there shouldn't be any depth excuses going forward for Mike Cavanaugh. And I think that all begins this spring uh, when he's going to have maybe a full complement of bodies to work with. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, one thing that Mike Cavanaugh said during uh, during uh, you know the bowl game preparations uh, that I felt found kind of interesting was uh, they, that next year we're going to see uh, some guys up front doing things the way that he likes to have it done. And so I, I feel like there's going to be a lot of competition there, a lot of hard-nosed players with, you know, Bo Wilson, John Raritan, uh, you know, Matt Farniak. And, and Center is going to be interesting. Yeah, it really is. Uh, is it Raritan? Is it Decker? I mean, could they move another guy like Wilson or Farmer? I mean, I think you just got to get the best five out there, and that's what spring ball will be for. Who's your vote at center right now? I'm a, I really like Reardon, uh, how light he is on his feet. I, I think he still needs to get bigger, but that's who I would lean towards from what I know today. But I, I wouldn't count out like cross-training a Bo Wilson or a Tanner Farmer either down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, based off the comments we heard during bowl prep, uh, Raritan is definitely kind of a hot name right now. Uh, but keep in mind, Decker was the number two, and they've really tried hard uh, to get him up to speed. So I think that they haven't quite lost hope on him. So uh, that's going to be a fun competition to watch. Nate, yeah, I would go with Raritan. Um, you know, and, and, and because he's so athletic, you know, I, I I do think he needs to add a little weight, a little strength there. But he's so darn athletic, and and the screen game is such a big part of this offense. But for whatever reason, has not been able to really get going. Um, you know, over these last two years, I, I think that um, you know that it could start up front with with a guy like uh, John Raird in there. All right. Well, when we come back, we're going to shift over to basketball. The Huskers are off to a hot start in Big Ten conference play. They're also on the verge of potentially adding a midterm transfer player that would start classes in Lincoln this week. We'll get Robin Washett's take on all of that next. Here, you're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. No, it's it's black shirt football. It's like uh, they were great defensively, right? I mean, the black shirt, the idea of wearing your black shirt is that you are a special defensive player with a certain mentality that sets your team apart from anybody else. And, and quite frankly, why not adopt the same idea basketball-wise? And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was head basketball coach Tim Miles as... He's got his team off to a hot start here in conference play. The Huskers won road games at Indiana, at Maryland, when, you know, I remember, Robin, we taped our show in Nashville right, I believe it was right before the Indiana game that night. And, you know, we just assumed that the season was over. And I'm like, oh, should we just cancel the basketball segments in the in the radio show from here on out? And here, here, here they are, you know, Nebraska basketball has got it figured out. The right in the mix of things. What has changed in your estimation, if you were to kind of summarize it into one take? Why has this team all of a sudden figured it out? Well, you know, in the open, you, Tim Miles obviously he continues to preach defense because that's his calling card, and he's going to hang his hat on it forever. But the difference has been on the other end of the floor, uh, offensively. Uh, this team has just taken on a completely different mindset with the basketball and it's a new aggression it's a new assertiveness and a new will to get to the rim on every possession or at least make the effort uh there have been far too many times especially towards the end of non-conference play when nebraska was really struggling uh they'd get so passive and they'd just swing the ball around the three-point line uh, in hopes that something would happen and then they'd end up taking a terrible shot and it'd be a wasted possession and uh, so i think it, it, if nothing else it was just it's just kind of a new aggressive mentality that uh, has kind of been uh, 
uh, uh, reborn uh, here. To, you know, I mean, they had it early in the year. I mean, that Dayton game uh, was as good as they'd looked offensively uh, up until you know these two first two games of Big Ten play, and now that's back, and that's been a real uh, kind of correlation into why Nebraska's had the success that it's had. And then uh, on top of that, too, I think you got to look at some. There's just been some role uh, definition that's gone on, um, you know, since the end. Uh, basically, since that Gardner Webb game, um, you know, you got obviously Anton Gill with the unfortunate season-ending knee injury, uh, and then Jack McVeigh, uh, who has basically played himself out of the rotation uh, with the way he's been struggling. That's a lot of minutes that were being kind of eaten up in that lineup uh, that really weren't producing you much of anything. And so with those two guys kind of out of the picture now, it's allowed windows for guys like Jariah Horn, Evan Taylor, and Isaiah Roby to see you know vastly increased roles. And you know they've thrived, uh, especially offensively. Jariah Horn's spark on the perimeter, it can't be overvalued. Uh, I mean, he has really changed the look of this offense and made life so much easier for Glenn Watson and Ty Webster. Because defenses now have to the, you, They have to extend. respect it. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. And then Isaiah Roby, too. I mean, we all know about his athleticism, but he's really starting to show his basketball IQ, uh, really start to evolve here the more experience he gets. And a perfect example of that was against uh, Indiana. Um, you know, when Indiana made that, you know, I think big comeback to erase a 12-point deficit, uh, they went zone on Nebraska and did kind of the same old recipe. First time they've run zone in, what, four years, five years of miles? No, I'm, that was the Maryland game. I'm talking about Indiana. This oh. is this is when Indiana was playing zone on Nebraska. Uh, and, and that's the recipe that you, you go zone, pack the paint, make him beat you with jump shots, and Nebraska loses. Well, what they did, they were utilizing Isaiah Roby in the high post as kind of that they'd get the ball in his hands, and then he would make plays kind of based off you know where where Indiana's zone was, and that just killed him, and that allowed Nebraska to really storm back into that game and not only take the lead but hold on to it down the stretch, and uh, that's. Just the tip of the iceberg with that kid. I, I'm so excited about his potential uh, just because he's a freak athlete for one. We all know that. Uh, but his basketball mentality is impressive for a kid that young who is relatively inexperienced as far as high-level basketball goes in high school. Um, he, he's He's got so much room to grow. So uh, the guys like that are starting to get more of a role into this offense. And, uh, you know, you hope Jack McVay breaks out of his slump. And obviously you hate to lose, you know, a kid like Anton. But um, their loss has been the gain for some of these younger players. And that's been a big part of Nebraska's success as a result. And, Robin, I'll give it to you. When a lot of people were throwing pop shots and taking jabs at this team, you kind of still had an idea of what they could be. And, and you got, I mean, you've watched every game. You've been to everything for the last several years. You know the talent level on this roster. And it, it just seems like now they've at least developed a formula for it. Yeah. And, you know, I know people didn't want to hear it, you know, that this was going to be a young team and it was going to take time because that's been the message for the past 20 years, 15 <laughs> years now. So, yeah, people didn't want to hear that. They're tired of it. They want results. And I get it. You know, it's, it's, there's only so many times you can look ahead to next year and, you know, feel good about what you're watching at the moment. But uh, that is legitimately the case for this team because uh, they had, Going into the year, 11 active scholarship players. You lose one of them in Anton Gill. You got another one in Jack McVay that's basically out of the lineup. So now all of a sudden your rotation of scholarship guys is down to nine. 
And how many of those are first-year or second-year players? I'd say probably at least seven of them off the top of my head. So, uh, you know, clearly uh, they had some work to do just in terms of gaining experience and learning how to play together. Uh, and that was we saw that. I mean, they went through some severe growing pains earlier in this year. And um, the, the only way you solve that is with time and experience. And you know, that was only going to happen by throwing those guys out there and letting them learn the hard way. They did that, and now you kind of start to see the uptick of you know that familiarity and that chemistry building more and more every time they take the court. When an 18-game conference schedule, though, obviously – you got to really be a good team to come through that. But uh, this team, Robin, is still looking at maybe adding a piece uh, that could be here in, in Lincoln for classes next week. Uh, what can you tell us about a potential mid-year transfer from Georgetown? Yeah, uh, Isaac Copeland, who is a 6'9", 220-some-pound uh, junior forward out of Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, committed to Georgetown out of high school and had a pretty decent freshman year. Uh, but then kind of tailed off his sophomore year, and then injuries really held him back uh, through the first 10 or so games this year. So kind of a disappointing end to his career there. But this is a guy that coming out of the 2014 class was a five-star prospect, ranked number 23 overall in the country. So he's clearly not he's not bad. <laughs> so it's, the situation didn't work out, and there's been a lot of guys at Georgetown where things just don't work out, and there's probably a bigger issues there than just the players. But uh, th- this was a guy that got to Georgetown because Nebraska assistant coach Kenya Hunter was the lead recruiter at Georgetown before he came to Nebraska, got him to Georgetown, and then so as, as soon as word kind of got out that Isaac was looking to move on, Kenya Hunter was the very first coach to reach out to him about potentially visiting um, and looking at Nebraska as a a potential uh, transfer destination. Then there's another layer to that. Uh, Isaac is like childhood friends with Anton Gill. They grew up together in Raleigh, North Carolina, played youth basketball, played high school basketball, played AAU basketball together. And uh, when Anton left Louisville originally, Georgetown was on the top of his list because he wanted to go play with Isaac. And when I interviewed Isaac a couple weeks ago or a week or two ago, uh, he said that, you know, that's always been something they've, you know, legitimately wanted to do was play together. And now perfect opportunity to do that. So uh, he's taken an official visit um, on Thursday and then uh, going to kind of go from there. He has a very tight window, like you mentioned, just because he needs to be enrol- enrolled in his new school by the basically enrollment deadline for the spring semester uh and so for Which the, you, you do get two weeks right with nebraska that's january 17th so he's, he's it, got a little bit of day time. after martin luther king day basically exactly so uh he's basically taken back to back to back to back visits and he he uh checked out a home game at north carolina state who's one of his leading contenders but again that's basically just driving down the street to check out a game i mean he's from Raleigh, so nothing big there. But Nebraska was his first out-of-state visit. Uh, he's also looking at Kansas, Texas, and uh, you know maybe another school, but really Arizona State, that's the other one. Uh, so after that, um, he's going to have to make a decision here pretty quickly. And again, with all the reasons that we said Nebraska has uh, connections with him, it would not surprise me one bit if they ended up landing him. One follow-up, real quick. Is he better than Moses Abraham? Yes, he's better than <laughs> Moses Abraham. Okay, yeah. I, I can give my Robin Washett seal of approval on that one. <laughs> that was the last Georgetown midterm guy. I mean, he's seven foot six foot nine guy that couldn't make a layup so um anyway well should be interesting to see the huskers play this weekend on sunday uh it's a 115 game 115 um, against northwestern that was just announced earlier this week 
Um, so it's a it's a big little home stretch here for the Huskers as they try to build this record up in Big Ten Conference play. All right, when we come back, we're going to bring Matt Reynoldson in, who's fresh off his trip from Nashville um, with his his buddies, and we'll hear about that. But we'll we'll take your questions in the mailbag. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. So, uh, that's definitely something I'm going to work for, you know, because you know, we have a bunch of good backs here that's going to push each other. And I'm definitely, you know, shooting for the number one spot. I'm definitely going to make it my goal and, you know, just do everything in my power to, you know, to claim that number one RB spot, you know. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. We take your questions now in the mailbag as fresh off his road trip around America. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we'll keep it all on the down low. But Matt Reynolds, uh, our Husker Line intern, who dra- traveled out with a group of guys, um, kind of like what we used to do, Rob, when we were at that age to cover a Nebraska game. They went out to the bowl game. And uh, did you guys have a good time, Matt, and out in Nashville? Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Broadway Street was pretty cool. Covering the game in the stadium was definitely a bucket list experience. Never been in an NFL stadium in that capacity before. So that was fun. But Broadway Street definitely took the cake. All right, we're going to take questions in the mailbag. A lot of questions this week. Let's start out. What do you have? Well, one of the main concerns in the bowl game was the play at linebacker. So with so much uncertainty there with the unproven guys, uh, are any spots locked up for next year? Well, I don't know if, if you could say any spots are locked up for next year, um, given the, the way the those guys play, especially down the stretch. Um, I mean, obviously, you, you can look at who has returning experience and a guy like Dedrick Young, but Dedrick Young played arguably his worst game as a Nebraska Cornhusker in that bowl game. So and he was graded out the highest on Pro Football Focus, which is scary. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's pretty brutal. So, I mean, honestly, I, I feel like every spot is going to be up for grabs there at this, this uh, at this point in time. I feel pretty confident that Chris Weber will start next year. I think you've got to go with a solid, steady hand. I think he should have been in that bowl game. I think the way those other guys are playing, Weber would have at least been consistent and physical. And I think he should have been out there more in that game, just the way those guys are playing it. Today, right now, it would be Newby, Young, and Weber. Uh, but Avery Roberts will get every opportunity to start at linebacker this spring. Yeah, don't forget about Tyron Ferguson either, who redshirted this Muhammad year. Muhammad Barry. Yeah, Muhammad Barry. So they got some young kids that uh, you know didn't get a lot of time, uh, at least on the actual defense, that uh, I think could make a push, especially given what we saw in that bowl game. Next, we got some questions about the running game, which was another big concern in the bowl game. Going into spring camp, do you see Nebraska's running game improving at all? And the follow-up to that was, if the O-line struggled to get a consistent push with a mobile quarterback, how are they supposed to get one with the threat of um, the option is taken away? Well, I think the biggest thing is just staying on schedule. And and when they did that, this offense was deadly. Northwestern game was the perfect example. If you can just get that four to five yards, which is easier said than done on first down. I mean, Randy Jordan, the former running backs coach for Bill Callahan, would say, just give me my four. And if you get more than that, it's bonus. And and that's kind of what is important. And there were too many one- and two-yard carries. Uh, But, yeah, the running game will be – different next year because when you don't have a running quarterback like Tommy Armstrong getting 200 rushing yards a game in the college stat model is a lot harder because sack numbers get deducted off the rushing numbers which doesn't make a lot of sense Um, so I don't know statistically Robin if you're going to see 
Nebraska at that 200-yard level, especially when you factor in the sack yardage. Yeah, it's going to be more difficult, no doubt about it. But, you know, for any improvements to be made, it all starts with that offensive line. And they're a young group that obviously battled their slew of injuries over the course of the year. Seemingly one guy was hurt after another. But uh, for Nebraska to be successful in any aspect offensively, even if it's running the ball, protecting the pass or anything, that offensive line has to get significantly better. And so the hope is that uh, all the young guys that you know finally were able to play together towards the end of the year uh, are able to look a whole lot better uh, than they did in that bowl game. And I am pretty optimistic about that group of offensive linemen, um, you know, especially because a lot of those guys that did redshirt, um, you know, had the Huskers known that they were going to run into so many injuries this year. I think they, they, you know, there's at least a couple of those guys probably would have ended up playing this year. So um, I, I think the depth is going to be a little bit better there, which uh, which should ultimately see or lead to an improved group up front. Well, it shouldn't just be stat driven either. I, I think you get too caught up in a certain number. Iowa and Wisconsin. They don't average 200 rushing yards a game, but they get quality, effective carries. And and that that's where it has to come down to. Can you run for it on third and two, or do you have to take a lower percentage play and throw? And, and that's, that's what it's all about, I think, when you look at the rushing offense going forward. Will Nebraska be able to convert third and ones, third and twos? Can they be efficient on first down? One of the biggest questions on the, in this mailbag, it was asked twice, and I've had this question for quite a while, with the red shirts coming up next year, you know, Cole Conrad was the backup at all five positions at one point in this season. And with the red shirts coming up next year, maybe a couple of recruits coming in, being able to play right away. What will the rotation look like next year? Will they play nine guys or will they stick with the five? I think you really don't go more than six or seven, um, a swing tackle, a swing guard, if the players are good enough. But there's a big misconception that Nebraska had this like platoon of playing 10. The reason they used to play so many more guys back in the day is because they'd win by 40 yeah, they points. they pull their starters. So it's a little bit different when the game's a seven-point game or you're going to be like, let's just put Christian Gaylord in to give him some reps to make him better um, in the seven-point game. And it doesn't work like that. You've got to win the game, otherwise you're going to get fired. Yeah. Um, so – they're going to play – I mean, I, I would – I don't know. Robin, I, I could see them maybe having a swing guard, maybe a swing tackle um, if the guy's good enough. But I, I can't see any more than six or seven. Yeah, and, you know, Mike Cavanaugh, the last thing he wants to do is field another question about rotating offensive linemen. Uh, so I don't think that's going to be anything that they're just going to consistently change or uh, instantly change their whole viewpoint on. I think they're going to want to have their five guys – with, like you said, Sean, maybe a swing guy or two uh, that if someone goes down, they can immediately put him in. So uh, I would say no more than six, maybe seven at the highest. And they should have a swing guard next year. Between Bo Wilson, Farmer, and Foster, I think those three guys will handle the guards. The center spot is between probably Decker and Raritan, Tackle, Conrad, Neville, Gates, and then, you know, Farniak. So there's four tackles right now where, you know, you hope two guys can emerge. Could Farniak make a push? Could uh, could uh, Cole Conrad get better? Could Neville maybe get better? You hope that happens because right now the tackle position is a huge question. Next question here from Matt Reynolds in the mailbag. Mushing a few of them together once again. This one's about recruiting, wide receiver recruiting specifically. You know, with Thompson decommitting from Boise State and being immediate Husker target, four-star wide receiver there. Uh, how how soon does Gavin Holmes try and pull the trigger if if Jamari Calvin commits Saturday to secure a spot? 
Well, Nebraska's got three spots left at the wide receiver position in this recruiting class, and I think if Jameer Calvin pulls a trigger this weekend and, and secures one of those spots, um, you know, it kind of puts a little bit more pressure on Gavin Holmes. He's going to be visiting Arizona State on the 13th, uh, coming out of the dead period, and and. Uh, I know he has said that he's planning on taking a couple of other visits leading up to signing day, but I tell you what, if if uh, Nebraska can get you know Brian Thompson on on campus, uh, that even puts the squeeze a little bit more on on uh, Gavin Holmes. And I know Lynn Bowden, the the four star athlete out of Ohio, is going to be taking an official visit, so I could see uh, Gavin Holmes making a decision sooner than later, uh, just based off of you know uh, there being a little bit limited space left in, in that uh, in that wide receiving core all right we got time for one or two more here in the mailbag another question from the mailbag about recruiting with it seeming like a lot of players in the trenches not necessarily panning out here how does the staff fix that problem maybe in a recruiting strategy well I think one thing that that Mike Riley and, and his staff have tried to do is first and foremost <laughs> they've tried to maximize every recruiting class that they've had they've they've uh, not only signed enough guys to fill you know the open spots uh, scholarship wise but they've oversigned by the allowed three you know that the Big Ten uh, gives you so uh, and it basically made it work I know every you know the past two classes everyone's always been like wondering how how they're gonna get everyone on campus you know they oversigned by three and it it's somehow never been a problem yeah it's never been a problem somehow it always seems to work out so uh, and I think that's a good example of Mike Riley you you know, maximizing the roster because as we saw under Bo Pelini, there would be times where you wouldn't even, you know, fill your entire allotment of, you'd go into the off season with a couple scholarships open already. So, uh, you know, I think that's first and foremost, the, the most important thing that needs to happen is continue to maximize the roster and, and just continue to do your homework. I mean, you're, you're never going to hit hundred percent rate on, on all these recruits. You know, I, I think if, if 50% of your class ends up panning out and, and starting for you at one point in time or, or giving you a quality, uh, quality play throughout their career, I, I think that's a pretty good recruiting class, but I think it all just starts with, uh, you know, being able to identify guys that, that, uh, you know, fit, fit your mold character wise and, and that are going to work hard. And, and then of course, uh, guys that, that are going to continue to develop and well, you got to know, you got to know guys too. You got to yep. recruit them early. You can't just meet a chick in Vegas and get married the next week. You've got to yeah. have a six to eight month, nine, 10 month relationship with a kid before you sign them. You can't scramble around in January and, and on January 25th offer a guy and think that that guy is going to change your program. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what we saw way too much of. Uh, you know, and towards the end of the the Bo Pelini era, is that the last two weeks of a lot you know, of Vegas weddings, yeah, a lot of Vegas weddings leading up to signing day, the last two weeks on, under under Pelini. So, um, yeah, that's most definitely you got to know you got to know who you're bringing into your program. All right, when we come back, it will be the long-awaited recruiting segment with Nate Klaus. The U.S. Army All-American Bowl is this weekend. We're gonna get Nate's take, and I'm gonna be about the hundredth person today to ask him about Darnay Holmes. I look forward to his answer next. You're listening to the Husker Line Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. So we need we need to add, obviously, uh, and, and we're in the process of that. The, the big thing is, uh, you know, in the back end, we, we need to add the, the two, two, two corners, you know, uh, in a scheme of things. We're on our way with the defensive line. We just need to hold on to a couple of these guys, and we're going to close on another uh, one here shortly uh, once we can go back on the road. And then uh, linebacker-wise, 
Uh, we, we've got three targets that, uh, that have been committed to us. Uh, one of the targets still has some academic work to do, so we'll continue to recruit there to make sure we're in position if something should happen to one that we can fill uh, the other. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show final segment. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus. It's U.S. Army All-American Bowl weekend, baby. Nate, it's going to be a busy weekend, and that was Mark Banker breaking down the defensive recruiting board after the bowl game, just kind of giving a snapshot of where things were at. Anything at all from that Banker statement catch your attention, uh, hearing him kind of give the the uh, snapshot of the defensive side of the ball. Well, I think the first thing that really stands out about that is the maybe the linebacker talk. You know that um, that they've got three guys that are committed, but one guy ha- may have some academic issues, so they're going to continue to to recruit linebackers. Um, Andrew Ward is the most recent linebacker commit there, and, and I think he's the one that has some academic issues. So so they're going to be smart and, and kind of keep their options open. Maybe recruit a, a handful of guys. They they've got uh, Jaquan Henderson out of Georgia, who's already visited. Isaac Slade, Matautia from Honolulu uh, is another kid, a four-star linebacker that uh, has already visited. They're going to continue to keep their eye on. And um, and I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, maybe they do dabble in the junior college ranks and, and see who's out there as a JUCO linebacker because, as we all saw, that's that linebacker position is it was uh, was not looking too great uh, towards the end of the season, especially in that in that bowl game. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we talk recruiting U.S. Army All-American Bowl this weekend, Nate. Probably about seven legitimate targets taking part in this game. And I wrote this week, there really hasn't been an Army game with this type of intrigue maybe since 2005. Now, to be fair, 2011, you had Aaron Green, Bubba Starling, um, the kid from Florida, uh, Tyler Moore was in the game. Uh, Charles Jackson was in that game. So he had a, a good group of Husker guys. But that 05 game was special. Mike Farrell still talks to me this day about how all those Husker commits uh, were in that game and all the fans went down there. And I remember some of the guys from our website brought down sound speakers and blasted the Husker fight song on the Riverwalk for the recruits when they left the hotel and just all kind. Of, it won't be quite like that, Nate, but uh, there's a lot of interest this weekend in the game in San Antonio. Yeah, I don't know if it'll ever be quite like it was in that 2005 game, but um, but yeah, most definitely this is. There's a lot of intrigue for this weekend's game. You've got seven legitimate targets are all considering Nebraska. Four of those kids are going to be making their decisions. Uh, and the interesting thing about it is they're all on the West uh, squad. They're all, they're all playing for the West team and. And generally, I, I, you have to feel good about that. I think a lot of times, any anytime you can get you know a group of guys together um, for a week that all have kind of the same type of schools, are all interested in, in a, at least a couple of the, the same schools. Uh, they talk about you know what it might be like to go uh, to that school and play together. Well, you know what if we what if we all went to to this school and and uh, you know just think about what we could do if we all went here or there or whatever. So you know that that Nebraska's been coming up in a lot of those conversations um, and I think that's I think that bodes well for Nebraska but uh, like I mentioned you've got four guys making a, their decisions uh, starting with Jameer Calvin the four-star wide receiver um, a couple five stars with uh, offensive tackle Foster Sorrell um, and, and cornerback Darnay Holmes uh, and then of course uh, offensive tackle Chuck Filiaga um, you know all four of those 
players or have uh, have, have visited Nebraska at some one point or another uh, and have had Nebraska, you know, uh, you know, in, in high regard, I guess, uh, you know, for either a long time or or have just recently, you know, put Nebraska back towards the top of their list. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk recruiting, Nate, and let's talk Darnay Holmes. I mean, this has kind of been a guy, you know, I, I talk to you about this all the time in recruiting for the fans to really get into it. You've got to identify some names early on, guys back in the spring or, or after signing day, and then kind of have them come and visit and show interest. And that's happened this year. There's been a lot of guys, particularly Darnay Holmes, where his name was on the radar for now over a year. Well, it's coming to an end on Saturday. Um, he's not taken an official visit to Nebraska, but we, he's basically taken official visits here. He's spent the night in hotels. He's done all the things here, what, six times. What are the chances, Nate, with Darnay Holmes here this weekend? I think they're actually pretty decent. I know, um, you know, there's there's a lot of reasons why Nebraska shouldn't get Darnay Holmes, but when you break it down, there's still a lot of reasons why Nebraska should be considered uh, not not just as a, as a team that they you know could pick him up, but maybe as a team that should pick him up. Uh, and, and you're right, you have to go back all the way two years now. Darnay Holmes has been in the picture with Nebraska. I, I remember it was that spring before their junior season when uh, Keyshawn Johnson senior year brought up his seven on seven team you know with with Tristan Jebbia and Keyshawn Jr. and Darnay Holmes and and Darnay that weekend for, during that visit is when Darnay Holmes became a five-star prospect you know on, on that top on the rivals underclassmen top 100 so um, you know they've been on him ever since then like you said he's visited you know five or six times now uh, he's basically done a number of official visits basically the only the only difference between an official visit and some of the trips that he's been on is the fact that Nebraska couldn't pay for his hotel or pay for the meals that he ate on campus. So uh, so it's not like he you know, has, has missed out on anything by not taking an official visit to Nebraska. He's been to multiple games. Um, you know, and when you, when you look at what he wants uh, on the next level, a lot of it fits at Nebraska. He, he wants to be an immediate impact player, uh, which he would most definitely be at Nebraska. He wants to, to you know, play on both sides of the football, which Nebraska has told him that he would have a shot at playing wide receiver as well as cornerback. Um, you know, his friendships are important to him, especially as a mid-year guy. You know, it can be kind of hard to acclimate, um, you know, going away from home for the first time and, and being a mid-year guy, trying to trying to acclimate in, onto the team as a as a kid who, uh, you know, it's kind of a cliche term, but as a kid who should be getting ready for his senior prom, <laughs> is all of a sudden acclimating into a college. That's been used a few times. Yeah, has been acclimating into a college football locker room. And it can be kind of tough, but when you look at if he came to Nebraska, he'd be going through those same things with two of his best friends with Tristan Jebbia and uh, Keyshawn Johnson Jr. Uh, as well as some really good friends that he's been able to get to know throughout the process like Javon McQuitty and, and Avery Roberts. So all those guys would kind of be experiencing the same thing and uh, be you know be going through the, that same transition. So I, I think um, you know that is something Nebraska has in their favor. Uh, the fact that People like Keyshawn Sr., who's his godfather, and Rich Jebbia, the, the father of Tristan Jebbia, uh, would be coming up basically every weekend. I, I think they're probably going to be having a place here in, in Lincoln. Uh, that's and this won't the, be a place in the Russian bottoms. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> I think it'll be a place, kind of a home away from home, you know, where where they're going to have family in town basically 
uh, you know, over half of the year uh, is from what it sounds like. So uh, there's a lot of reasons why uh, I think, uh, you know, Darnay may pick Nebraska. And, and really, this is, it's what's been fascinating about it all is that he was really high on Nebraska uh, and had planned on committing in June, uh, you know, right on his birthday, and then backed off of that because he wanted to take visits. And then it seemed like Nebraska kind of fell out of the race there for a little bit. And all of a sudden, Nebraska hires Dante Williams, uh, the, the quarterback cornerback coach uh, with great ties to Southern California. Um, you know, they hired him away from Arizona. And then all of a sudden, Darnay Holmes is is back considering Nebraska once again. And, and I think that his relationship with his cornerbacks coach uh, is another thing that, um, you know, can't be overlooked here in this scenario. Um, you know, but you, you also, you know, the heavy rumors are that Ohio State is right there in the mix and that, that USC has really made a strong push as well. So, um, you know, I like Nebraska's chances, but as with all these highly regarded guys, uh, it's it's a dogfight and it's going to play out until these kids announce. Because from what I've been hearing is the number of these decisions have been made, but they're not they're not telling anybody. Who, it's been pretty buttoned up, very buttoned up, uh, much more so than what we've seen in the past. I wonder, you know, in in this is what happens. I've been to about six Army Bowls for the entire week, and on Saturday. They will have a sheet. I mean, the the partners and, and whatnot of what the kid is going to plan to announce on NBC. So that will get out on Saturday morning or right around kickoff, and and that will be very interesting. Um, but obviously, the integrity of the people that get that sheet, they've got to keep that information mm-hmm. under wraps. But that will be known at least by eleven, I'd imagine, or eleven thirty. Uh, there will be pre meetings with NBC that these kids will have to let them know, but. I've seen kids say one thing, like Jarrell Poe, and then then commit to LSU when um, Auburn, literally the Auburn people had a story written that he committed to Auburn, and then on the announcement, he changed it to LSU on NBC, and LSU wasn't even in the picture. So it could be a deal like that. Uh, I mean, if I were to put a gun to your head, Nate, Jameer Calvin, I think we both feel good about. So that's one commit. Do Do you think it's two? Do you think it's three? What's realistic um, best case scenario right now, um, and I say realistic. Yeah, you know, I, I think one in, in Jameer Calvin is is probably you know the I guess the uh, the the bottom. You know, I, I think that's that's kind of the given. I, I feel confident that they'll get more than one. I think I think I feel pretty good that they'll end up getting two, and then getting three would be unbelievable uh but not necessarily unrealistic uh out of this scenario i I, i'm not uh not overly optimistic that they'll get three but i could certainly see it happen you feel at least better about two than one i feel yes i i do feel like um and i've been saying this all all week you know if, if the if the over-under is one and a half on how many commits Nebraska pulls this weekend, I would probably be taking uh, or be putting money on, on the over. I, I think that I think that they will uh, find a way to pull two commits out of this uh, out of this and weekend. Joseph Lewis is going to go all the way to signing day. Joseph right? Lewis is going all the way to signing day. Greg Johnson, uh, his teammate, is going all the way to signing day. Uh, Diamador Lenore is going all the way to, to signing day. Uh, you know, so there's there's a handful of you know basically everyone who's not committing this weekend is going all the way down to to the wire to signing day. So, so it's Calvin, Fialaga, Sorrell, and Holmes. Holmes, those four. Um, and so you two two would be kind of realistic. Three would be like 
72nd and Dodge party <laughs> yeah. if, if it happened. Yeah, basically, uh, you know, I could see I, I see Calvin uh, committing to Nebraska. I think there's a really good chance that Darnay Holmes picks Nebraska. Um, and then w- between Chuck Filiaga and Foster Sorrell, I probably feel a little bit better about Filiaga than Sorrell. Um, but uh, I, I think that, that Michigan is probably the team to beat for Filiaga uh, and that Stanford is probably the, the team to beat uh, for Sorrell. But those two guys have such great relationships with Mike Cavanaugh uh, that I, I don't feel like you can necessarily uh, completely write those guys off at this point. Well, make sure you are logged on to Husker Online here all weekend as the U.S. Army All-American Bowl is Saturday. We will be the place you want to be. We have the most active, lively message board. Uh, Nate, Brian Munson, Mike Mattia, the entire recruiting staff will be dialed in on Saturday. And uh, we'll also have continue to have more interviews and coverage from San Antonio as our own Greg Peterson brought several exclusive video interviews from San Antonio. But that wraps it up here for another edition of the Husker Online Show. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.